Good day. Uh, it's my pleasure to have you join us uh, today for a live webinar and also our podcast entitled Fraud in the COVID Ecosystem, a Survival Thrive Guide. Uh, this is uh, July 7th, uh, 2022, uh, and this is our 189th webinar. I can't believe it is. I'm Dr. Charles Denham. I'm chairman of TMIT Global and founder of the MedTech Bystander Rescue Care Program. And I'll be moderating today and showing a number of videotapes uh, that uh, are part of our program with a number of our experts. Uh, and we're delighted to have a wonderful responder uh, with us uh, today and also uh, the voice of the patient. Today, we're going to address fraud. This is a really delicate topic. It's one that's uh, very charged with much emotion, um, and it exists in the suppliers, providers, and purchasers community. And this will be one of a series of programs that we'll be able to uh, show uh, uh, you. Uh, there have been multiple alerts during the COVID crisis regarding fraudulent tests, grants, uh, prescription cards, fraudulent testing, fraudulent uh, Medicare uh, billing, etc. And when we look at fraud, the definition uh, in the law, fraud is the intentional deception to secure unfair or unlawful gain or to deprive a victim of a legal right. Fraud can violate both civil law and criminal law. And we'll be coming back to this definition uh, uh, over and over again. A fraud perpetrator may be prosecuted and imprisoned under criminal, but also may be sued uh, for civil um, for the civil issues uh, as well. And so we have a, a, um, a, a video uh, that uh, uh, that has been uh, generated by the federal government to kind of address this, uh, which we'll be posting uh, on our website to address this issue. And um, as we kind of think about it, the scammers are out there preying on COVID-19 fears, that, number one. Number two, they can cause harm. They can fraudulently bill the federal government uh, or commit identity theft. Number three, the COVID-19 fraud is rapidly evolving and the federal government and the video that addresses these topics, which we've summarized in these slides, uh, addresses this. Uh, we have to be really cautious of unsolicited requests for personal information, and we'll get into the fraudulent issues regarding medical identity. Critical to talk to your physicians and get your COVID testing or treatments through someone that you trust, at least uh, you can reduce the probability of fraud, not kind of remove it completely. And if you su suspect fraud, critical to take, uh, take action. One of the areas that we've covered in patient safety and quality is patients is the issue of the Swiss cheese model. I had the honor of working with Professor James Reason from the United Kingdom uh, and uh, understood that although he popularized this concept of Swiss cheese having the holes uh, in them, and that we have to have layers of safeguards in order to be able to stop uh, a threat or potential harm to uh, individuals or organizations, that you need multiple layers because no one slice of the cheese is entirely, uh, is entirely uh, 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 safe. And so uh, we created this video to address how we would apply that to COVID, these principles of patient safety. And you can see that distancing masks, disinfection of uh, high contact surfaces, ventilation and testing are all um, issues. And even with all of these layers, people can become infected. And now with the BA4 and BA5 
Omicron lineage of the, the virus, um, it's a critical issue. So because this has been so politicized, we have a lot of people that are just COVID tired. I'm COVID tired. We're all uh, that way that many of our communities have just dropped these layers of safeguards at the worst possible time. And that's when we have a virus that's evolved and really uh, is, is now uh, highly transmissible, uh, lethal, uh, and starting to evade the vaccines and the natural protection of prior infections. So today we're going to cover the four Ps and, and as a systems engineer, both a doctor and a systems engineer, um, uh, systems engineers really rarely can describe what they do, but we apply models to complex scientific situations and then try to use those models to make, to rationalize uh, and to reconcile what's going on. The 4P model is one of prevention. How do we prevent harm from fraudsters? Preparedness, how, how can we be prepared for fraud? Um, protection, how do we reduce harm if we are deceived? Uh, so if, we, if a fraudster does get through or they're one of the issues that we'll cover today, how might we reduce the harm given that, that things will get through our Swiss cheese? And then what do we learn from others? How can we learn from others? Today, uh, we're delighted to have uh, a wonderful group uh, 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 that are uh, in multiple videotapes, and we have Jennifer Dingman live as well uh, to react, uh, and we'll be addressing a number of these topics. For those of you that have not been with us, uh, we, um, our purpose is we will measure our success by how we protect and enrich the lives of families, patients, and caregivers. Our mission is to save money, uh, save lives, save money, and create value in the communities we serve. And we try to live our value, I care values of ICA, this RE, uh, compassion, integrity, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship. Um, we have uh, all of our speakers, uh, both on video and live, had nothing to disclose. And for those of you that are on the podcast, we regularly go through those disclosures. Um, and uh, if you go to our website in future, uh, and those of you that are on the podcast, you'll find that we will continuously be updating the content uh, that we'll cover. Um, we also on our website have a, a progress report as of Q3 uh, 2022. We've been generating these this program of these this coronavirus care community of practice since March of uh, 2020, since it all started. And you may go to our website at medtechglobal.org, uh, coronavirus response. So the first issue is coronavirus, we're not done yet. Uh, for those that are on the, the podcast, um, we have a depiction of the various, a colorful depiction of the various uh, viri that, uh, and the, the uh, changes that have occurred from alpha to beta to delta to omicron. And it's critical that we kind of understand that there, there are, there's a lot going on. And it's critical that we uh, have uh, these uh, uh, vital issues uh, of uh, the virus uh, evolving and that, uh, that we, we need to recognize that it, we're going to be having surges again. So we're going to address today the fraud status and the basics. First off, coronavirus, where are we with the BA4, BA5, uh, Omicron lineages? The Swiss cheese model, um, we're gonna address prevention, preparedness, pre uh, prevention, performance, improvement, uh, and a concept called left of boom, which uh, Chief Adcox will address, and then use a framework of supplier, provider, and purchaser value chain elements, the value chain of all of US healthcare, which is north of $3.5 trillion, 
we're going to cover the idea of competing narratives, the idea of a narrative and how the stories are told regarding the science, which leads us into misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation that has really plagued us through this entire pandemic. We'll address what our collaborative on emerging threats, of which fraud is a has a major components, and then the five rights of medical records as they apply to medical record theft and cybersecurity. And we'll also be uh, have Dr. Uh, Boats address the five R's of readiness, response, rescue, recovery, and resilience. Um, it's important uh, that we uh, recognize uh, that, um, that we're not done with the virus yet. We're going to play a video. For those of you on the podcast, you can go and see some of the graphics uh, because it does not have any narration to it. Uh, suffice to say, though, that uh, this, uh, this um, data in motion video actually shows an enormous, enormous spikes. I personally, my family, uh, many of our friends and family, I have a 16 year old and I have uh, nieces and nephews. Um, and over the last month, virtually every one of the families of scientific collaborators we're working with has somebody who's come down with uh, coronavirus. Uh, we have it across uh, the teenage population who are out, really outside circulating. And we have a slide showing on July 4th the, the a hot map or a heat map of uh, the, the spread of disease. And if we look at today, there's an enormous, uh, there's an enormous uh, uh, expansion of, uh, uh, of the disease. Will this be self-limited? We don't know, uh, but I will show the video now and you may watch it on our website if you're on the podcast. So the video that I showed actually showed uh, the, this uh, heat map of enormous, uh, enormous uh, uh, expansion of the disease over the last uh, uh, few weeks. Will that continue? We don't know, uh, but uh, it's we need to be mindful of it. So if we look at the variant evolution of what's going on from alpha to beta, uh, to Delta, which really had an enormous impact, and then Omicron with its enormous transmissibility, we now have the BA4 and BA5 lineage of Omicron. So it's still Omicron, and Omicron uh, is uh, evading, to some degree, evading neutralizing antibodies of those that have already had disease, and it's uh, had an enormous uh, impact on uh, people, uh, even those who have been vaccinated and those that have not been vaccinated are at enormous risk, even if they've had uh, the disease uh, because uh, of the potential risk uh, uh, for um, uh, the, the potential risk for uh, reinfection and uh, severe disease. So we have um, hundreds of people dying every day. 
Now, a quick background on TMIT Global and the coronavirus community of practice, and then we'll go to our first speaker, which is Jennifer Dingman, is uh, over the last more than 37 years, we've been working in the patient safety and quality area and have been blessed to develop over 3,100 hospitals uh, and 500, an expert pool of 500 experts uh, who work with us. When we started the coronavirus program, we had about 40 experts of multiple multiple ages and multiple areas, clinical, operational, and financial, that has grown to more than 100 uh, and about 130 that uh, work with us. In addition to contributions, for those of you that are watching on the screen, uh, you'll recognize uh, Sully Sullenberger, Dr. Don Ber Berwick, Dr. Howard Coe, Dr. Jim Bajan, uh, uh, Bill George, the former CEO of Medtronic, uh, and a number of leaders uh, who uh, have been in our prior discovery films and we now have a series of three documentaries that will be coming out. Very briefly, we've done more than 50 90-minute broadcasts combined with our patient safety programs, uh, 26 survive and, uh, survive and Thrive programs, and a number of activities with students, with our major medical centers, uh, in both uh, research and development of content. I won't belabor the audience, but I, I invite you to go back to watch these programs, which we will update, and they've been ported uh, to uh, podcasts so that people can watch those uh, or uh, listen to those. But as well, they've also been produced as many documentaries that are streaming from our website and YouTube. One final note, we have a, a youth and young adult team uh, of, uh, of people uh, from aging from middle school all the way to the age of 30 with a heavy preponderance of those in high school, colleges, and in the first phase of their careers. Uh, we've got great representation in our R&D model, which we'll talk about a little bit later with many organizations, leading universities, Harvard, Stanford, UCLA, Chapman, uh, University, Princeton, NYU, Tufts, Yale, University of Florida, and more. Uh, and where we started was focusing on the essential critical workers uh, to be able to develop an opportunity for those workers uh, to be able to deal with this virus back in 2020 when uh, we realized that no one was really kind of focused on them. Our contention was if we save the families, we save the worker. If we save the worker, we can save the nation. We did a 1,000 a worker study focused on head, heart, hands, and voice. What do we need to know? Had what do we need to feel heart? What do we need to do hands and voice? What uh, do, should we share? So that's quick highlights of the background of what we've been doing and where we're going. It's my real pleasure to introduce Jennifer Dingman. Jenny is the founder of Pulse, a Persons United Limiting Substandard in Arison Healthcare. Uh, she's the co-founder of Pulse American Division. She's been a TMIT advocate team member for many years. She served on federal uh, uh, quality programs, multiple programs. She was a co she's been a co-author in the Journal of Patient Safety. I think most noteworthy, she's been a winner of the, the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award for her tremendous work on the HACS Hospital Acquired Conditions. Uh, which was uh, a major pay for performance program for our US hospitals. And she's really been a steadfast supporter of our community of um, care, both caregivers, but consumers. And this program it has been built and developed and originally for the essential critical worker families. And we got such great uh, reviews that we expanded it to the general public. So Jennifer, we're really pleased to have you set our course today, um, help us 
us with a compass heading of focusing on our families and on our consumers and, our, and, and the caregivers that are suffering through this uh, challenge. Jennifer? Thank you, Dr. Dunham, for having me. I'm very, very interested in today's webinar and the information that you're putting forth. I'd like to thank everybody who has come here today for coming today. And please, I encourage you to share the recording of this particular webinar and all of the others with your friends, relatives, colleagues, and neighbors. I'm very excited about the speakers that we have today and all of the great information that we're gonna learn and how we as consumers of healthcare and patients and families can help pre prevent these frauds from happening in the future. A lot of people think COVID's over or they're just used to it and it's not. I have a friend here locally who's a physician and that physician has had actually caught the COVID, but she's okay. But she's very concerned at the complacency that we're starting to see in our country. We have to be vigilant. This is still a killer disease and a killer illness that's going to do a lot of harm for people who are not taking proper precautions. The more we know, the more we learn, the safer we'll be. Um, I'll hand it back over to you, Dr. Denham, and thank you so much for the, this great series. Thank you, Jennifer. We really appreciate it. So there are a number of structures that we really need to kind of understand to put into context how those of us that are consumers, but also caregivers and others uh, have to deal with uh, this, uh, this fraud uh, uh, issue. And one that we uh, use over and over again are the healthcare value chain. And so I know that uh, the majority of our, of our audience, uh, both live and those that will be listening to the podcast and watching the videos are consumers. Many know healthcare, many from law enforcement. Uh, and so just a quick structure of our healthcare system. There are three big, big buckets. There are the suppliers that provide products, uh, technologies and services uh, to our providers. And so the suppliers might provide devices, pharmaceuticals, testing dev devices, can, all kinds of things. Our providers use those to deliver care and, and technically providers are the professional caregivers and also the healthcare institutions and organizations such as hospitals, as well as those that uh, are outpatient surgery centers, urgent care centers and, uh, and uh, doctors, doctor's offices. And they deliver that healthcare by bringing the supplier's work to bear on the care of patients to purchasers. Purchasers are the largest purchasers of federal government through the Med Medicare Medicaid's programs. Uh, insurance payers are intermediaries. They either work with the employers or the consumers directly to, to ensure the care. And then consumers, and we'll hear uh, a lot about the fraud that's going on uh, not, uh, far beyond COVID, COVID, but really with folks that are taking advantage of many uh, of the people that, are, uh, that have had COVID from in this purchaser category. So let's talk about what are the examples. And this, is not, this will be a first of a series of work that we're doing on fraud that will not just be with the coronavirus program, but many people have asked, well, what, what do we do about some of these things? So let's talk about fraud that occurs and overlaps between suppliers, providers, and purchasers. Suppliers, counterfeit masks, counterfeit tests, counterfeit medications, 
misinformation and disinformation about those products and services uh, that fraudsters use and popularize to try to sell products that don't work, that don't do anything for COVID, and yet they've had mainstream attention and they've been politicized. Now for the providers, there's price gouging, conflicts of interest, wrongful termination of caregivers, Many fraudulent behaviors and activities, unfortunately, do occur in this space in a more than $3.5 trillion market. Surprise billing. I was the subject to that with my son's heart surgery. Lawsuits against patients. Uh, an enormous number of lawsuits. In fact, there's a, uh, we'll hear from uh, Dr. M uh, Marty McCary, uh, and uh, in his book, he describes a city that only has 25,000 res residents, and yet there have been 25,000 lawsuits by the local hospital against people in the middle class who will lose their homes and lose their credit uh, because of these lawsuits. And then counterfeit testing processes. So you see there's, there are counterfeit tests over in the supplier side, but then there's also counterfeit testing. The fraudsters that say, we're doing a PCR test for you, Jennifer Dingman, and we'll give you the report. And they discard the test and then give you a negative report um, and, and move on and charge an enormous amount of money for that. Uh, and so purchasers, there's denial of coverage where they say, well, you're not covered with this new thing called COVID or these symptoms that are hard to pin down. Denial of disability benefits. I've personally had to help someone who worked with a good company. They had de delegated to, to uh, one of our top insurance companies and they attempted to deny his benefits and by working diligently with his medical records and continuously putting pressure on the organization, he got disability payment for the rest of his life. The COVID time bomb. Most people don't understand that the insurers voluntarily agreed to waive the co-pays for COVID testing. This was not just a good guy thing. This kept it from being mandated for the long term. And recently they've pulled out those stops. So everybody's getting surprised now, believing that, uh, that they wouldn't have to pay for uh, these services related to COVID. And now these quietly have been pulled out. And then identity theft, medical identity theft and cybercrime. This is by no means a full list, but this does cover a number of the topics we'll cover today and we'll cover more deeply. Uh, Chief Adcox, Bill Adcox, is the Chief Security Officer and Vice President of MD Anderson Cancer Center. Uh, he's the Chief of Police of the University of Texas at Houston. He's been our MedTech lead in threat safety as a threat safety scientist. Um, and Chief Adcox is who I believe is a real pathfinder in this area of threat safety science. Working with Dr. Boats, we have applied the concept of left of boom, meaning uh, left of boom is moving upstream from a bad event. It came from the military and also this idea of the 4P model. So this is the, uh, the model that we discussed earlier. And uh, so uh, what uh, we'll do uh, now is, uh, is uh, listen to um, uh, Dr. Uh, Chief Adcox, uh, who um, we have a, a recording of for this morning. Uh, he's, uh, uh, he, he will, uh, will not be here live. However, he will share with us uh, the, uh, these, these two concepts. It's a real pleasure to introduce uh, Chief uh, Bill Adcox, 
who is uh, the chief security officer and vice president at MD Anderson Cancer Center. He's the chief of police at the University of Texas at Houston Police Department. Um, he has just been a longstanding champion of uh, performance improvement in the emerging threats that we're addressing much broader than COVID. And our hope is again, uh, Chief, that we can get back to, and you'll hear from, from Dr. Boats, uh, that we will be really excited about getting back to some of these emerging threats. We covered the issue of the state of our safety net and the fact that we've got major gaps in this safety net uh, last month. And um, uh, we have video actually showing uh, metaphorically how some of the safety net isn't even beneath us and because things have evolved so quickly and that there are major gaps. Uh, Chief, would you go through the concept of how you taught us, our whole team, about left of boom that you derive from the military? Uh, sure, Dr. Denham, and thank you everybody for being here today. Um, left of boom, this is a term that was coined by the, <clears throat> in the United States military while we were battling uh, terrorism uh, on the front lines in, in Iraq. Uh, the, the terrorists had become very well, very, very good at uh, developing IEDs, which are improvised explosive devices and planting them. And our vehicles would drive over them and a large explosion would damage the vehicles. And unfortunately, it was killing a lot of our soldiers or, or permanently injuring them or seriously injuring them. And so the military was able to obtain a, a tremendous amount of funding, billions of dollars in order to harden the vehicles so that they could survive a, an IED attack. And, and that, was, that was okay, but it, they were still occurring. And what they learned pretty fast is they needed to do something to prevent IEDs from being planted to begin with. So they went back to Congress for more money and, and, and the understanding was is they felt like they had already given them money to deal with the problem. So what they explained is they needed to get left of boom, left of the explosion, meaning they needed to go, go upstream and, and try to identify how could they work with the uh, Iraqi community, how could they work with the different organizations to identify uh, the more technically skilled individuals that were building these IEDs and in order to disrupt that and, and so that you wouldn't have them. So again, it was, as you look at that graph in front of you, it was how do you get upstream to the left there and stop it? How do you stop it from happening to begin with? So left of boom obviously is before something happens and then right of boom is, is what you would do after uh, an event, a, a terrible event. And so really it came from the United, the United States military. And that was so helpful to us to really be able to uh, communicate the 4P model that we use in all of our projects, uh, which are prevention. And if, and if you could just uh, help us kind of understand a little bit more deeply the two different factors of prevention, that you're preventing two things, preparedness before something happens, protection at, during the event, and then performance improvement, which many of our team for many years have been focused on that science of performance improvement, but bring it all together for us. Sure, this is very critical. This is a model that we recommend uh, everyone use. So with prevention, you have two types of prevention, primary prevention and then secondary prevention. Primary prevention occurs when an incident or an event does not happen. You've actually prevented it. Secondary prevention is if an incident or an event, a harmful event does occur, uh, our efforts are focused on reducing the overall harm. So we're able to you know, make sure that in, through partnerships, working with the communities, uh, working with the different uh, parties, uh, that we can, we can reduce the residual uh, outcome 
uh, or the damages that occur. So you, so you, your secondary prevention is you have, uh, if you have an event, it's it's going to be less harmful, less damaging. Um, preparedness is, as you said, Dr. Denner, is our state of readiness, and that's how we ensure that we can effectively respond uh, to harmful or damaging events. So, for example, this is what you do to prepare, such as having in, in, in advance of an event, you, you have established early warning systems. Uh, you've trained your, your, your people. You do exercises. You have really solid special, uh, uh, operational plans. Uh, all your planning is done, et cetera, so that you're very well prepared uh, in the case that, you, that, you, that an event might, might take place uh, so that you can respond to it. Uh, protection, the third, the third prong is protection. Uh, for us, it's an agile and adaptive model where we leverage people, processes, and technology to best protect the institutions, the patients, ourselves, and others. And so really protection is, is pulling all that together and having that model. And last is that loop that we're doing that constant performance, performance improvement, looking at it all the time. So if you have a focus on quality assurance and improvement across all service lines, across all events and, 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 and use a data-driven process, you're able to review these events, you're able to take the necessary action to make improvements. Uh, the last thing I will say about the model, the model is not independent. Each of these things do not uh, take place in, in a vacuum. They're all interrelated and interdependent and they feed upon one another. And, it's, and so you really need to have the full model in place and have a, a very solid uh, understanding of how it works. And that is the best way that you're going to be able to, to protect yourself. And that's the best way that you're gonna be able to prevent events for your organization. There's no doubt about it. So we will be applying this concept as we go through these various areas of fraud. In 2019, before the COVID crisis struck, we launched a community of practice of leaders like and including Chief Adcox and Dr. Boats at MD Anderson, leaders at the Mayo Clinic, leaders at a number of our top ranked US News and World Report hospitals of approximately 30 areas, both visible and invisible, which were of great concern to us in hospitals. A number of these organizations, for those of you that are on the podcast, include Mayo, Harvard-affiliated hospitals, University of Florida, University of Southern California, uh, UCSF, Stanford, and, and as I said, MD Anderson. One of the areas was to focus on readiness for epidemics, and then we were su not surprised to find that that became a, a critical issue. Uh, but one of the other really big ones is cybersecurity of patient records. This is including breach, theft, and contamination of medical records. And fraudsters may steal your records. They may contaminate your records through what they are undertaking, meaning that if someone steals your medical records and then uses your medical record to get drugs or to get a medical procedure, all of a sudden your um, medical record has been contaminated, even though you still have it, it could, they could be damaged and deleted. Other areas of fraud include theft of intellectual property, uh, employee fraud, including misrepresentation of identity, qualifications, safety-related issues such as vaccination testing and attestations of truth, patient fraud, including misrepresentation of identity and safety issues. And this is after not only are cybersecurity a threat, but now the, 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 the fraud that can occur when they get those records. There is the conflict of interest of staff, 
that including physicians and researchers and administrators uh, and their behaviors in conflict with preserving the rights of an employee. Wrongful termination, for instance, is an example of where conflicts of interest occur uh, within an organization. Conflict of interest of governance, which has occurred with a number of our top medical centers where those that are the governing body have dipped into the coffers or um, gained some unfair advantage in business because of their representation of the hospital. And then academic fraud, including fabrication, falsification, and plagiarism, um, which actually can affect medical care uh, when a fraudulent paper comes out, the fraud is actually perpetrated on all the patients that improperly are, are given a treatment. So these are all areas of fraud. Now they seem esoteric, but we're gonna get into some really practical ones. We use another framework of inside and outside threats. When you look at your family and you look at yourself individually, your goal is to build resilience, both from threats of the outside that can harm your family, but also inside threats. So what are those? Well, in hospitals, it's staffing shortage, COVID, but it also can be the risk of uh, an immunocompromised person that is living with you, an elderly person that, uh, that may be at greater risk, uh, a person that just deny is a denier of, uh, of vaccines and just decides not to get vaccinated or wear a mask. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, everyone else is at potential risk. So. What we have going on really are competing narratives. And one of the really good examples of what a narrative is and what you're seeing in the press now, we have polarizing uh, press, taking positions and then telling stories. And the narrative as is described beautifully, and I'll show you a video clip from the TV show, Bull, um, the narrative is a story that is told that makes sense of a version of the facts that supports the argument made by an organization or an individual. Attorneys will take advantage of the existence or absence of documentation to support their clients. Good attorneys believe that they should do everything in their power, regardless of whether their client is guilty or innocent of whatever, to do everything in their power to win the case, believing that in, in total, in the, in, in the overview of the, of the broad swath of history, that more justice and fairness is delivered that way. Um, I, a lot of us really have anxiety and, and are upset by that. However, that's the way the system works. So our attorneys, and especially our trial attorneys, and those that are negotiating um, against you and or for you for insurance coverage will seize facts, and let's go back to it, and they address a version of the facts that supports their argument it's not necessarily what is truth or not truth. It's what's available are facts. And it's critical that patients manage their medical documentation and supplement it to protect themselves because a huge proportion of the fraud that we see are unsuspecting, naive care, caregivers and care receivers. The patients that are receiving care uh, are taken advantage of by the way the system works. And, um, and I have many friends that are attorneys and they will agree with you that this is, this is what they do. They develop a narrative. It's the way the system works. It's, it's uh, described uh, uh, by Michael Weatherly in this video clip. And then we'll work with the DA to pick the perfect jury. And by monitoring the reactions of our mirror jury, we will know at the end of each day how our case is being presented and what changes we need to make to realize the best outcome for our client. Very impressive, uh, Dr. Bull. But it starts with the narrative. 
the story we tell that makes sense of what happened, but also supports our version of the facts and leads everyone, the judge and the jury, to the same conclusion. The narrative. And so one must understand that, the, that, that uh, as you deal with fraud, as you deal with the prevention, preparedness, uh, your uh, protection, and then performance improvement, that you're dealing with the narrative. Now, uh, the leaders in information are helping us understand that, uh, that there's misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. This is the best framework that exists. And the term misinformation and disinformation are used by many pundits uh, interchangeably, but those that really have to understand what's true facts, patterns, and what's not a fact have to really sort the wheat from the chaff. So let's go through what this is. So the, they're on, on the dimensions of falseness and intent to harm falseness and intent to harm. So what's misinformation? It's un, their unintentional mistakes, such as inaccurate photo captions, dates, statistics, translations, or when satire is taken seriously, spreading false information that you think is true. So you may think that something's true because you've received information about uh, treatment for COVID or whatever that actually is misinformation and you're honestly sharing it and applying it, believing that it is really true and your intent when you pass it on is not to harm someone else. But disinformation is fabricated or deliberately manipulated audiovisual content, intentionally created conspiracy theories or rumors huge proportion of this going on in those that are the science deniers and uh, an enormous amount of politicization uh, has gone on that has generated enormous amount of fraud and people buying supplements and products or not uh, uh, being vaccinated or not uh, using masks because uh, their sources of information uh, have an intention politically to take a position. And malinformation, not often talked about, is fabricated or deliberately manipulated audiovisual content intentionally created is conspiracy theories or rumors. It's the deliberate uh, abuse of private information with the intent to harm or intimidate. So it's you may have accurate information that's about someone, but it's personal and it's private. And then that is being used, which is used frequently. We think of uh, uh, Nurse Kimberly Hyatt in Washington State, where the HR, her HR record was released that put a, a, a negative tone uh, and qu created question about her after she made a typical systems error on a patient, unintentional, and she committed suicide because the, the harm was so great. So let's talk about some real detail now regarding some of the some of the elements of fraud. We're going to be undertaking a much broader scale program because it's such an enormous problem. But um, uh, but when we look at suppliers now and we look at counterfeit masks, so we have produced a number of videos. You can go on our uh, website to review them, and we have come up with a framework that's easy to remember: uh, filter, fit, and finish. When you think about whether you should wear masks or not and which mask you should pick and how to use it, it's important to remember the filter. How good is the filter that filters out the particles? The fit, because if you have bad fit of a good filter, you may not be as protected as if you have a really 
good filter, not the best, but you have really good fit. And finish means you're not touching the outside of the masks. The medical masks, the N95 masks have an electrostatic charge on them that attract the virus to keep it from going in your airway. And the cloth masks have now been completely discarded as not being effective with the current, uh, with the current, the current vi virus. Now, when we think about, and the lineages, now when we think about masks, uh, I personally know Dr. Fauci, uh, and I also know the recently retired head of the NIH. And unfortunately, information that they shared was taken out of context. You can go pull a video clip from two years ago of, of Dr. Fauci and then show a videotape from a month ago and say he's a liar and that he, he um, is contradicting himself. And actually, we found out that aerosol is the way that this spreads, and it spreads from asymptomatic people. So uh, a quick snapshot of masks. Can I, what's really important is, can I catch it? Can I spread it? Can I get sick now? Can I get long haul? And do I get a benefit from a mask? If you're unvaccinated, absolutely. Both protecting you and others. If you're vaccinated, yes, still, and especially with this highly transmissible Omicron subvariant, Youth and children, yes, the benefits are there, and you can make the decisions regarding uh, what's going on in your community. Now, let, so so we we very much stand on the on the shoulders of great work in in, in aerosols and great work uh, on the mask. And it's just for those people that understand the science of mask, there's there's no controversy uh, if you dig into the issue, dig into the content. But let's talk about um, get away from communication of misinformation and disinformation. Let's just talk about those characters, those colorful characters who are outselling counterfeit masks, leading you to believe that you're uh, protected. And if you go on the CDC website, those of you that are on the podcast, all you have to do is do a Google search on counterfeit masks, and uh, you can find the website that I'm showing today. And the signs of a mask that may be counterfeited might have no markings at all on the filtering face piece, no approval number on the filtering face piece, no NIOSH markings. The NIOSH is uh, the organization that is the trusted source regarding these safety issues. NIOSH is spelled incorrectly. So people out of our country will miss, miss, misspell it. The presence of decorative fabric or other decorative add-ons to the masks, claims of approval for children. NIOSH doesn't approve any type of respiratory protection for children, they just approve uh, masks. The filtering faceplate resp respirator has ear loops instead of headbands. And uh, now in some cases, uh, there are good surgical masks that uh, that that uh, that uh, uh, have them, but uh, on the slide, and those of you that are uh, on on the um, uh, are listening to our our, our uh, audio uh, file, I'm showing an example of the correct exterior markings of a good mask. And so, for those of you that aren't looking at the graphic, um, uh, go to the website of the CDC, and you'll see it. And you'll see that these masks have approval holder part numbers, they have codes, they have lot numbers, and it, it's, it's once you understand how the counterfeit masks are being, uh, being sold, anything that is, is super cheap with a big volume of masks, anything that looks too good to be true, probably is, not every time, but 
Yeah, and if you go to the website, you'll see a number of examples of counterfeit masks uh, that are for sale today. So as we as we move forward, are we going to need masks? It looks like uh, as we head into the summer, this very transmissible Omicron uh, lineage uh, is going to be with us for some time. Um, uh, I will, if you ask me, what am I doing? And I'm an expert in in this field and been studying it for the last 24 months to help uh, essential critical workers understand it. I I don't go into uh, indoor spaces that are poorly ventilated. I always wear a mask if I have to. If I have to go into any store, my family and I wear masks. If we have to give somebody a ride in the car, we'll roll the windows down. I live in California. We let good airflow. Uh, if we've got really, really good airflow, we might not wear masks. But if we don't, um, or it's a confined space, we wear masks. When we use Lyft, Uber, or any of the ride chairs, always wearing the mask, always washing our hands and being prepared. So let's shift gears now to providers and address the issue of price gouging and conflicts of interest by our providers. Surprise billing. I mentioned earlier that I've been subject to that with my son's heart surgery, where uh, we ask, is our, does our insurance cover the care? Absolutely. Are you within network? Absolutely. And we go in for the surgery, and then the anesthesiologist gives us a bill that's even more than what the surgeon charged. And they say, we're out of network and they have to pay the top uh the, the top price and there was no way that they would and they were they would go after anybody who didn't pay the bills and then the awful thing are lawsuits against patients and this is just so sad to see many hospitals are suing patients taking away their homes and the majority of those patients that they file lawsuits against are people that that are living check to check to check and and can't um, and, and can't deal with it. So, um, so what I'm going to do is uh, is uh, share uh, a video uh, of uh, Dr. Uh, Marty McCary. I've had the pleasure of getting to know him. Um, he is a terrific, and actually work with him in cancer. I've sent cancer patients to him that have had pancreatic cancer, who who received wonderful care of a great team at Johns Hopkins. He's written two books. One called Unaccountable regarding patient safety, and that's how I met him. And then he's written a book I highly recommend. I have no financial relationship whatsoever with Dr. McGarry or any of the other people speaking, but The Price We Pay is a terrific book. Uh, you'll get a little bit of a tease uh, of, that, uh, of that book uh, right now. Uh, and I will um, uh, I'm sh we'll share his TEDx uh, uh, presentation uh, now. When American hospitals were built, they were built by their communities to serve their communities. It's an incredible heritage. Many of them were built by the wealthy business leaders as a donation or a charity. Many were built by churches. They were built by everyday members of the community to serve that community. Their charters were incredible. Mr. Hopkins dedicated Johns Hopkins to serve, quote unquote, the indigent of the city, regardless of one's race, creed, or ability to pay. This is our great public trust. Hospitals were built on a great public trust. When polio affected 20,000 people in the United States, disabling people, putting them in an iron lung machine, one of the worst things you could possibly imagine. Jonas Salk invented the vaccine. 
He was told by many of his colleagues and business friends, you should get a patent. This will be the greatest money-making patent in the history of patents. And he said, no, this will be a gift to the American people, the property of humanity. We talk about drug pricing today. Look at our great heritage of the public trust. All of us that see patients at every level, doctors, nurses, physical therapists, when you see a patient, we have inherited this great public trust that allows us to have an intimate relationship, one of the most beautiful things in our profession, and we have that bequeathed to us from our predecessors because for centuries, Health professionals have earned the public trust. According to one philosopher, who else is an advocate for equality than the witnesses of birth and death? That is our great medical heritage. When I see a patient, I need them to trust me. Sometimes we have to make tough decisions and we need to make them together. I rely on that public trust. In no other profession, can you put a knife to someone's skin within a second of meeting them? And they'll let you do it because of the public trust. They will tell you secrets they've never told anybody their entire life. They will tell you within seconds of meeting you because of that great public trust. But today, that great public trust is being threatened by a new business model in some areas of healthcare that is price gouging. Let's call a spade a spade and use the patient-centered term price gouging and even predatory billing. You know, I've got friends uh, in my department of surgery. We do a lot of cancer surgery and they've asked me, why don't you come to our cancer research ideas meeting anymore? You seem too busy to come. And I tell them I'd love to come, but you know, I'm working on this other stuff. And they, they'll ask me, why are you doing this other research on pricing in healthcare and the markups that patients encounter and payment reform? And what is this about you going to courts, court cases, defending patients pro bono who have been sued by hospitals to have their wages garnished? And I tell them, you know, 64% of the American people say they've avoided or delayed medical care for fear of the bill. We have a public trust crisis right now in healthcare. And we need to rebuild that public trust. Our cures for cancer, I told them, are no good for half of the public if they won't come in to see us. And right now, we have a public trust crisis. I do go to court. And I will serve and defend any patient pro bono who has been sued by a hospital for a bill that they cannot afford to pay. And we win 100% of the time. We are trying to create public accountability. We understand the codes. We know the games. We know that we have good people working in a bad system. Hospital leaders, people in insurance companies, they're not diabolical people. They are good people who have inherited a terrible, horrible game that has gone out of control. We've inherited a game of 
inflating prices for the purpose of offering secret discounts to different groups. It is a crazy game and it's spun out of control and somebody needs to stop and say, let's take a step back, this is completely crazy. Cool. <laughs> it threatens the great public trust. You know, if airlines told you, we can't show you a price for the flight. You went on the travel website and there's no price. We have to bill you after the flight. We can't predict if there will be a delay or maybe a cancellation that would change the price or maybe the pilot will experience turbulence and have to work harder and bill and code more RVUs at the end of the flight and that would change the flight. We would say, that's crazy. This is a crazy game. How about an honest price? And you know what? They give us an honest price. If there were no prices on airline sites when you bought tickets and instead you got billed afterwards, guess what? You would get gouged and there would be gouging going on all over the industry. You'd be getting a surprise bill for drinking a beverage of, for $800. <laughs> and it would threaten the great public trust in the aviation industry. Yet in healthcare, that's exactly what we have. Now we can get our house in order and give prices for common predictable services. These are achievable tasks. After all, our great academic medical centers are the center of scientific genius. I can tell you 500 facts about the Whipple operation, except for one, the price of it. <laughs> Now I do know the price of it, but as a part of our training, that's, we have been focused on taking care of patients and taking care of their medical health. We need to take care of their financial health as well. I had an executive from Google read my recent book, The Price We Pay, and wanted to have a conversation. And we had a talk and he said, what can we do to help? I said, we need more public accountability. And if we can create the same measurement, benchmarking, and improvement that we have seen in other areas of medicine and other areas of society and other industries, we can do better. We can do better. I said, when somebody Googles the name of a hospital, instead of just putting, putting on the results the name of the hospital, the address, and the phone number, how about putting the name of the hospital, the address, the phone number, the average price markup, the leapfrog quality score, and their billing quality metrics? How about some public accountability? My team at Johns Hopkins believes firmly that financial toxicity is a medical complication. Billing quality is medical quality. And taking care of a patient means taking care of the entire person. None of us took an oath to treat a patient, cure their disease, and ruin their life financially. It's not part of our great medical heritage. We've created billing quality measures. They are quality measures, but they are measuring billing and pricing quality. These measures published this month in the Journal of the American Medical Association are very simple. Number one, does the hospital or medical center provide an itemized bill in plain English? 
It doesn't make sense that these bills are uninterpretable by the hospitals that issue them. Number two, does the hospital offer a real price when patients ask for common shoppable services? Look, I'm a surgeon. If you get shot in the chest, we're not going to give you a price. We're going to take care of you, and we should. We should not be giving you a price. But you know what? Over 60% of medical care is shoppable and predictable. These are elective services that are scheduled. We can do better. We can give you a real price, not a crazy inflated price, designed for secret insurance discounts. Number three, do we give prompt service to those who call and have questions about their bill? If somebody has a concern about a mistake on their bill, we should have the courtesy of a prompt service where we engage in a civil dialogue with the patient, listen to their concern, investigate the concern, talk to the clinicians on the ground, figure out if there was a problem, and close the loop and call the patient back. That is civility. If you bought a car for $25,000 and you called the next day to the person who sold it to you and said, hey, there's something terribly wrong here, and they didn't return your call, you would feel that that public trust has been violated. Number four, does the hospital sue patients? Any hospital that does not provide prices does not have a right to sue patients. In a study we published in JAMA last summer, some hospitals, 20 to 30%, are suing patients. These are nonprofit hospitals. Some have argued that they have to sue to garnish the wages of patients in order to stay afloat. But we point out that all the money they collect from garnishing wages is less than half of the CEO pay. And if they're that concerned uh, that it's a business, how about pay taxes? They get millions of dollars in tax benefits for a reason. And that reason is they were built on a mission to serve their communities. Number five, do they have surprise bills at their institutions? Some hospitals have said there's no surprise billing here. We have direct contracting with the docs. And we have a system of employing doctors. And we have requirements of those who practice in our facility. And if somebody is seeing you out of network at an, your in-network hospital, if we're in your network, we're going to disclose that before the elective care. That's honesty. That's honesty. And finally, our patients bill directly for medical complications that are the result of a never event, something that should never happen in healthcare. Okay, believe it or not, today in America, still some patients are charged for complications of never events. You leave a sponge in at the time of surgery, the repeat surgery to remove it is charged to the patient. That should never happen. These are basic issues of civility. So the next time somebody asks you, how do we fix healthcare, you remind them of our great medical heritage. And when we throw every stitch, we have to remember that great public trust. When we prescribe every medication, we have to remember that great public trust. When we have a business transaction in healthcare, the number one thing we should think about is that great public trust. It is our medical heritage. Thank you.
So we really uh, appreciate uh, the, the work that Dr. McCary uh, has done. We highly recommend any of you that anticipate, most of us should anticipate that we're going to get COVID. Uh, it, it is critical, I think, that people understand the billing process and start to ask those questions because the range of testing and, and treatment is all over the map. Highly recommend the price we pay as a book to purchase. Highly recommend the uh, to read the article. Billing quality is a medical uh, is a medical quality. And in more detail, for those of you that are on the podcast and those that are live, I'll just go over a little bit more in detail. Dr. McCarran, Dr. Macri says, uh, itemized bills, critical, price transparency. We are seeing an enormous amount of COVID fraud regarding the, the cost of PCR tests, the cost of having an antigen test, the cost of uh, seeing a, a physician for telemedicine. That first they start to shop your insurance to see how high they can charge and what they can charge. Uh, I can't go into the detail, but Dr. Uh, Macri and others have described uh, websites that can give that can tell you what the shoppable prices are in your community. Uh, service quality critical. The suing of patients. The moment uh, that uh, an organization tries to sue you for an, a, a bill, an outrageous bill for COVID, immediately get on the web. Don't don't engage a lawyer. Immediately get on the web. You'll see advocacy services. I would get uh, Dr. Macri's book. He recommends experts, and again, I have no financial relationship with them, um, who can help immediately with uh, the lawsuits. Uh, uh, and as Dr. McCary says, those of us that really know the codes realize the game that is being played. Surprise bills, uh, be aggressive. It's critical if you uh, have a family member that has COVID is to get right up next to the finance department of the hospital, the outpatient surgery center, or the medical or the medical doctor's office and say, look, um, uh, you know, we, we uh, have to be able to be careful about what uh, we're being charged. The number of errors in these bills, because they're indiscriminately coding, upcoding, and adding things, uh, almost 100% of, of hospitalization bills have major uh, flaws in them that then an attorney, once you've done your homework, can help uh, reverse the fraud. And um, it, it, it's, it's such a shame that this is going on, but this is, there's an epidemic of uh, gouging that's going on. And who would have thought that when you signed up for this webinar or this podcast? Um, review Dr. Uh, McCary's book. He describes one city in, in New Mexico that has more than 25,000 lawsuits, and there are only 25,000 residents in the town. The, the guaranteeing, uh, uh, guaranteeing the the uh, the uh, an employee's paycheck uh, for for those who really rely on their credit rating to get their cars to buy a house to be able to rent a property are having enormous impact. So this is critical to understand uh, regarding the fraud that is occurring there. And I apologize to those of uh, you that are representing hospitals. However, you know it's true. And if you look at your own hospital, you'll be very surprised. If you're not, then I congratulate you. And I, I think you should uh, make people aware of it. Let's shift gears to conflict of interest of staff, including physicians and researchers, conflict of interest of governance and academic fraud. Uh, the first two really tie uh, directly 
directly to, to wrongful termination. And wrongful termination is a critical issue. It's one of the major areas of fraud in, in healthcare, but also the essential critical work uh, workers. And just to remind you uh, of the last topic we covered, Walmart, uh, employees were the biggest number of people that were being sued uh, for their medical bills. So uh, these are not rich people. Now, academic fraud, including fabrication, falsification, plagiarism, or dis dishonest grant documentation, we're, we have an epidemic of this. What's really critical in COVID is uh, people are publishing articles in less than top scientific journals, and there's no check and balance to some of these predatory journals that are addressing this challenge. Now, I'm watching our time. We're at 11.04. Uh, for those of you that are watching live, uh, we'll cover these topics in more detail. Let's talk about the counterfeit testing. Testing's critical. It's going to be even more critical probably later this summer and this fall if we, if we don't see the Omicron B4, B5, and especially B5 lineages. Um, if, we, if they surge, we're going to have to go back to understanding the right test at the right time, uh, and we're going to be updating a major your uh, mini documentary we did on this. Today, we're just going to cover the counterfeit issues. So what are the counterfeit issues? There are counterfeit tests out there that you can buy over the web that, uh, that, that are not real tests at all. And they'll come out negative every single time because they don't even have the reagents necessary to, uh, to identify whether uh, you have COVID or not. This is extremely dangerous if uh, one is going to meet with uh, an elderly person, an immunocompromised person, or meet in a group. Uh, um, also, there's so much misinformation and disinformation on testing. Testing is a godsend for those of us. My son will be going to Costa Rica uh, on, a, on a surfing trip this next week. Um, he's taking the tests with him. He's using N95 masks. We're doing everything to provide the layers that we can. Would I buy a cheap test on the web from some unknown vendor? Absolutely not. I couldn't count on it at all. And we know that we have false negatives, even with the best tests. The other category are counterfeit testing by providers. Those that have actually have licenses in states who say they're doing a PCR test. And, and there are many stories of these fly-by-night organizations that do testing and they'll do it rapidly for you and they'll charge your insurance or they'll charge your cash. And then they just throw away uh, the sample. Uh, critical. So it's, it's vital that you stick with uh, top-notch care providers in your community, go through the social, not social networks on the web, your own relationship networks of people in your community that are going to the best doctors uh, to find out where the best places are to get testing. That's just what I did when I went up on a movie set uh, uh, last year during COVID, and I identified where are the nurses and where are the local children's hospital getting tested, went in and got my PCR sample taken in a parking lot, immediately got it, it was expensive, but I knew I could count on it, and those that on the movie set could count on it as well. So uh, now, false vaccination cards, an enormous problem uh, with all kinds, and you go on the web to see the patterns of this. Now, this dropped away when, when, uh, uh, when the mandates for vaccination dropped away. They may come back if we have enormous surges, or if you apply for a job that requires vaccination um, uh, and uh, it needs it because you're working in closed spaces, uh, it'll be critical to get uh, to do not do not 
falsify uh, any records. Those are get, they're getting caught. People are getting caught. But more importantly, you're harming other people. If you don't want to get vaccinated, you've chosen a path. It's like choosing a, a path to, to go in the smoking section, uh, you know, of a um, uh, you know of a restaurant. Uh, you know, you made your choice. But please don't harm other people uh, using these. And there is an enormous number of these vendors that were out there. They've dropped away. They may come back here in fall. Uh, as we look at fraudulent testing, there's suppliers who have produced testing devices that don't work. They have false negative results as well as dishonest providers, which we, we've discussed. So uh, for those of you on the podcast, we're just reviewing that on a slide to say this can occur with hospitals, doctors, uh, and the uh, fraudulent uh, uh, submissions to your insurance companies and laboratory scams. So when we think about testing, it's important to know that testing relates to viral load. If you have a huge viral load, you'll more likely have a, 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 a true positive. If you have minimal viral load, you might be borderline. Knowing the right test at the right time uh, with the right organization is absolutely critical. We have undertaken a webinar, go on our website at medtechglobal.org, uh, and we spent weeks preparing it, consulted all the best experts on testing. Much of the testing has not changed. We'll be updating the differences between uh, the linear flow uh, home test and the PCR test. And the things to remember about the PCR test are that the fragments of the virus may be present long after or after you're contagious. And so the tests are ex the home tests are excellent for identifying whether you're contagious, especially if you have serial tests. Some of the universities only require one. I do two or three just to make sure. Uh, and the PCR test could be positive long after. So please go to watch our program and listen to the podcast of the comparisons between PCR tests and rapid antigen testing. What's really critical for travel uh, is assessing the threats, vulnerabilities, and risk. Test before departure, maintain safe practices in all the vehicles, uh, repeat, uh, practice the safest practices at the airport. The jetway without the air conditioning on in the, uh, in the airplane is one of the most dangerous areas. The potty is one of the most dangerous areas. Both are poorly ventilated. Once the airplane uh, air, con air conditioning systems are operating, the HEPA filters are operating. And please watch our webinar to address, uh, uh, address these. Uh, um, I'm watching our time. And we will uh, have on our website um, a videotape on these scams uh, that are going on. If we have time before the end of our uh, uh, half past the hour, we'll go through it. But the test site scams when, uh, when the surges occurred were very high, false, uh, false results, false negative results, very, very, very common. Uh, and then the lastly, identity theft absolutely critical to know that we have identity theft that is occurring with these fly-by-night organizations. We presume because we go to a doctor's office that we fill in all this information regarding our social, so we might get, provide our social security number when we go to the hospital uh, and all of our data. And it's critical to know that, uh, that these uh, things are, are absolutely vital. When we look at purchaser, so we've talked about supplier fraud, counterfeit mask tests, counterfeit medications, misinformation. We've looked at provider fraud, price gouging, conflicts of interest, surprise billing, lawsuits against patients, and counterfeit testing. Now, what about the purchasers of care, healthcare? Those that are consumers that are buying it, those that are your insurance company uh, and your employers. 
Denial of coverage is happening. This is why it's absolutely critical that you have very, very good medical records. You have a set of medical records at home. You sign all of the releases to be able to get them. The, your, your medical records are vital to, for your protection. Denial of disability benefits. I shared with you an experience that, uh, that I have had helping uh, an older man in his 60s who got COVID. He got long COVID. He could no longer work. He, could, he was getting lost finding his way to a bank that he's driven to in his hometown for 20 years. Um, he had vestibular difficulties falling down in the shower. And uh, I helped him by using his medical records. He was denied four times by a legitimate insurance company, but they're in the business of trying to wear you down and they're able to do it legally. Uh, we just wore them down. And finally, by resubmitting data, resubmitting the documentation, and most importantly, getting him to a long COVID clinic who documented that he did not have any of this symptomatology before COVID, he received uh, uh, an enormous uh, amount because he was a highly paid executive uh, before he was disabled. He received enough that two or three families could live on per year for the rest of his life. The COVID time bomb, what is that? The insurance companies have pulled the props out from under waiving the, your portion of the bills for COVID uh, care. This happened quietly. So we were lulled into believing that it was okay and we were gonna be taken care of because this terrible thing had struck our population. Quietly, the major insurance companies have pulled out those props and all of a sudden people are having enormous bills when they go in for a workup of symptoms that uh, are hard to pin down that could be other things. And uh, so this time bomb is going off. This is why it's so critical that you get into it. If you have long-term symptomatology to get into a long-term COVID clinic, get your records, uh, make sure that it is very clear when symptomatology started so that you can protect yourself with that. And then identity theft, cybercrime is an enormous problem. So when we look at the medical records, uh, medical identity theft and contamination is an enormous problem. It's got even bigger. And when we go around um, a graphic, for those of you that are listening, hospitals, doctors, pharmacists, ambulance services um, are, are notorious now for gouging. Dr. McCary addresses the, that in his book, as do others. Nursing homes, home health care, um, uh, and, uh, and laboratories have uh, this going on. When you have accidents and you have to submit medical information or applying for drugs, and then when you uh, look at cybercrime and your identity being stolen, all of these organizations have data that's absolutely critical to you. And you may not be aware, maybe you're aware of the fact that your personal information which is so critical, social security number, health insurance account, medical record number, doctors, the drugs you take, the devices, all of these things are critically important. And the person who is, has the most valuable medical record to be stolen is somebody who's healthy. If you're a healthy person, haven't been sick and have good healthcare insurance and you have a good credit rating, you, you, your, medical, your medical record might be 20 to 50 to even 100 times the value on the black market of what your, of what your credit card information and your home address and the typical information that's out there about you uh, is. So it, it might, you, 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 the reason is, that the, your medical record then can be sold to a fraudster who can then get uh, illicit drugs, black market drugs. There are even uh, cases that are documented of people getting transplants and even penile implants on someone else's insurance policy. And since 
you're healthy and you never look at anything from your insurance company, healthcare insurance company, you may be young in your 30s or 40s, and all of a sudden um, you look like a drug abuser because somebody's been getting oxycodone, Percodan, Percocet uh, on, your, uh, on, on your medical record with a falsified record of a back injury or some injury uh, or operations that have been charged. So this is enormously uh, 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 an enormous problem. A recent article stated that the cost of remediation may be $13,500. We've seen it as high as $21,000. Uh, uh, to remediate, and some people can never get their medical records uh, back. My wife's medical records actually were breached uh, by a major medical center, and we've been notified a couple of times that our medical records have been breached. That moves us to the five rights of the medical records. Those of you who have been with us for a long time know that we have a series of the five rights of emergency medicine, the five rights of pain management, the five rights of um, a number of topics. And we use the play on words of the, your right or something that you're entitled to and right meaning getting the right thing done. So we have that play on words. Let's go through this briefly. So the five rights of medical records to protect yourself again for, uh, to protect yourself from uh, uh, theft of your medical uh, records is that you really own a copy of your medical records. Did the provider say, well, we own the records? Yes, absolutely. But you're legally entitled to a copy of all your medical records. And if they say you're not, it's wrong. You are legally entitled to a copy. Do you own their records? No, but you, you own the right to have a copy made of them and it's reasonable for them to charge a fee. And it's important to get them. So you need to get them from the hospital uh, from uh, a doctor's office, uh, uh, including laboratory and, and testing. We'll get into that in more detail. So the first right is right of ownership. The second is right to access. The third is the, using the right communication tools to move those records around, which I'll come to in a minute. Um, the fourth right is the right to updates. It's critical that you update them. And the fifth right is to make sure that they have the right security protecting your records. So let's go through these individually. Um, uh, so ownership. Patients are entitled to ownership of a copy. Providers often pres presume since they are the owners of the records, they don't have to provide them. Absolutely wrong. Access. The safety and quality of care is directly related to the access of all medical records to the patient and to all care providers. Ideally, there should be a minimal lag in availability. That's ideally. If you go in for care, sign the releases for your medical records and state after you have your surgery or your procedure or your scene that you would like to keep up your records at home and you need to stay with it. The lowest paid people in the healthcare system are in the medical records department that are part-timers and you have to love them through it and you just have to keep uh, pressing and being gracious. If you make them mad, it'll take longer. If you're kind to them, it still may take some time, uh, but it's critical to get those records. The third right is communication. The right communication. Breakdown in transmission of medical records is a major source of adverse events causing preventable harm and expense. Patients must ensure transmission. Know that they can't email your records because they're not HIPAA compliant, but fax is compliant. You can get an e-fax number for very little cost. 
you get a phone number that you can give them. They will call that, they will key that into their fax machine and blithely send you those medical records that go to that electronic process and you will be emailed then the PDF. You're now taking the risk. They're not taking the risk. They know it went to a phone number. Great, it went over phone lines. When it was converted to a PDF and it was sent to you, you took on that risk which I'm happy to take on. And I've been doing this for years to help other family members, although I'm retired as a, as a, as a oncologist. We all have friends that have serious diseases. And because we have wonderful researchers we work with on, in 3,100 hospitals and many of the top ranked hospitals, we have to send records all the time. Updates, the fourth right. So the first one is ownership. Second is access. Third is communication. Fourth are updates accurate and timely updates to medical records, including tests and medical medication lists are critical to safety. They need to be updated continually. We're working with a mom who lost her son to a skateboard accident at a university who has taught us about how important it is to have the medical power of attorney for your singles, your seniors, your college students in the state where they live uh, critical that you are able to get those records to keep updating them if they're on a trip. My son is going to Costa Rica. I'm going to maintain a, a set of his medical records here. He'll have a set of medical records with him so that if something were to happen and they had to do an EKG on him, that they, that they would have it. And then security. Uh, insurance fraud is a major source of errors in medical records. Disruption of the medical facility record access due to ransomware is an issue for both inpatients and outpatients. So we have fraudsters that are addressing uh, those uh, problems uh, uh, or creating those problems. And what happens is when they submit anything on your behalf to get something for themselves, they've contaminated your medical records and you will have to live with that for the rest of your life unless you get them re remediated. Um, because I'm watching our time, I wanna give Jennifer Dingman the opportunity to ask some questions and address some of the topics that we've covered. Uh, at, at the end of the formal presentation, uh, I've been requested to have Dr. Boats uh, go through the five R's that we addressed in our study of a thousand, and now it's way over a thousand essential critical workers. Uh, so we'll have uh, we'll play that videotape at the end of the ninety minutes of our live broadcast. And those of you that want to stay on in the in the uh, audible uh, uh, program, uh, we're happy to have you. So the family health safety plans that we studied. So we studied the five R's of readiness, response, rescue, recovery, and resilience in families of essential critical workers starting in March of 2020. And we've continuously been updating what we've learned uh, regarding these issues. Um, this family rescue R&D we undertook with Mayo, Harvard, UCI, UCS, uh, uh, USC, UT Southwestern, University of Florida, UCSF, Stanford, and MD Anderson. And, uh, and so what we, and I'll highlight some of the fraud areas and I'll come back to you, Jennifer, uh, readiness. Preparation and regular review of updating a plan based on the latest science. Regular deliberate practice of the roles and skills of each family member. We'll address what Dr. Boats covers. In terms of readiness regarding fraud, have your medical records. 
know that you've got those medical records, anticipate that if you someone were to get COVID or any illness, that you call ahead to find out and talk with the finance department to find out if your insurance will cover it, if it doesn't, how much it'll be, and you can start negotiating immediately. Response, when the family moves to action, when somebody gets sick, it, you, got, you have to know what you're going to do. I have a number of friends who, who come down with COVID this week who are family friends and also researchers and uh, caregivers who have now had to put family members in isolation. A lot of them discard, discarded their N95 masks. They said, oh, well, COVID's gone away. You don't have to worry about it. They are kind of forgetting about ventilation and having to re-review everything. And as we head into the later summer, the, uh, this summer and headed to fall, if this Omicron variant and other variants strike, we're going to need to be prepared to respond. And again, if we have to go in to be cared for, remember the, the, the long COVID time bomb and the fact that you need to find out from your doctors, your hospital, your outpatient clinics, your urgent care centers, emergency departments, what are they going to charge if you have to go in for COVID testing? Uh, because it could range anywhere from uh, uh, far less than $100 to $250. And uh, if you don't know ahead of time, you can really have a problem. Rescue. Regular, regular deliberate practice of the roles and skills to take a loved one to the emergency department if they have severe symptoms. Be prepared. Have masks. Take batteries for your phones. If we have another surge, all of a sudden you won't be able to go to the emergency department with your family member and you have to be prepared. Again, uh, wherever you go, make sure that the insurance coverage covers you and that you're not going to have A, the time bomb, COVID, long COVID or the COVID time bomb, and B, that you're not going to be subject to uh, lawsuits and, and overcharging and out-of-network charges. This means having the re records and medicines re lists ready when you go to the hospital with a loved one. And also, if you're living in, in an area where it's not too cold or not too hot, windows down, masks on to protect the rest of the family. Recovery, follow-up care of the family member after an event. Returning to normal activities after a family member is infected and isolated. Uh, a lot of people are so confused about the CDC guidelines and figure, oh, I just have to hang out in a room for five days and I'm good to go. And they don't realize that they still may be contagious to the rest of the family. Then other family members get sick, potentially contaminating um, the air, contaminating uh, high contact surfaces, and then being stuck uh, with a, a bigger problem. And then uh, resilience, fortify, response, rescue, and recovery actions in a plan. In law enforcement and healthcare, we call it target hardening. It, we were so hopeful that we were out of the woods with uh, COVID and we would discontinue this uh, coronavirus uh, program. However, everybody we're talking to, the epidemiologists that we're talking to, it looks like it's not over, uh, we're not over it yet. Um, I'm going to address one final topic, which will then have links on our website uh, to the Family Lifeguard Update for 2022. Uh, Mr. David Beshk and my son Charlie, way back in 2015, far, the kid far on the left side of this image, uh, we got together and have been working in our med tech area, that's medical tactical, the best medical practices and tactical practices. We put together something called the Family Huddle Checklist. Um, uh, two, two Thanksgivings ago, and then updated it recently uh, when we put fab family gatherings back together. If this fall we've got another surge, uh, watch the video, look at the checklist, the things you can do before an event, the things you can do during an event and after an event. What did we add to it? Consider rapid antigen testing before an event, 
identify how to optimize ventilation and determine who's at risk, who, who's been vaccinated, who hasn't, who's at risk. And you can seat them in an area where they're at less risk and look at the safe practices that we can implement. And a lot of these practices have, uh, have remained the same uh, and we continue to, uh, we'll continue to address them. So uh, in our slide deck, we've covered those areas. Jennifer, we've got a few minutes here at the end. What questions would you like to ask regarding fraud? And are there any uh, issues that you'd like to address and underscore? Jennifer, are you on? We can't hear you if you're on. Let us know when you come back. Um, what we'll uh, we'll close with uh, our uh, uh, our approach to uh, where we are today. We have to fight the good fight. It looks like we're going to be in for a, a little bit more of a problem with COVID. We need to finish the race. Are you there, Jennifer? Yes, I'm here. I I was having a little trouble getting in. Um, yeah, I think you know as I said earlier. I really believe there's too much complacency regarding this virus because it's been around for such a long time. People are just used to it, but we're still having deaths every day and we're still having hospitalizations and disabilities. Long haul COVID is a real issue that a lot of people are not recognizing. People have gotten over it, but they're always tired. They're really sluggish. A lot of them are avoiding going to the doctor over it. So I think there's still a lot to learn about COVID. And I, I unfortunately do believe that it's probably something that's just gonna be with us forever. And we need to learn how to deal with it, but we need guidance from groups like this one to teach the public exactly how to deal with it. Um, I was so impressed with our speakers today and, and I learned so much that I didn't know. <laughs> so thank you um, for this, Dr. Denham. Well, thank you very much, Jennifer, and thank you for your steadfast support this many, now 26 months that you've been uh, our voice of the patient. And we're so grateful that you've been, uh, been such a steadfast supporter. When we close this formal session now, because we have many people that are on shifts and, and have planned to finish the work, I will close our formal session, but then I'll play a video of Dr. Boats addressing the five R's, which we've been requested to play again for our audiences. When we close, we say we need to fight the good fight. We need to finish the race and we need to keep the faith. And these are, this is uh, a motto uh, that people will, will remember from scripture, but we really need to, we, we are in a fight with this virus. We have to finish the race with our families and leave, leave no stone unturned to protect them. And we have to keep the faith that we could get through this. And even if we have other uh, lineages that come down our way, that we do have the tools to deal with them because everyone is a patient. And we always say that everyone can be a caregiver. Thank you today for uh, joining us. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you to Chief Adcox. And we're so grateful to have Dr. Boats and who's in the ICU today and uh, we're grateful to have experts like Dr. Uh, uh, McCary uh, who have helped us. So we'll finish right on time at 1130. What I'm going to do now is actually at the request of many uh, to play the five R's uh, um, of uh, Dr. Dr. Boats addressing the five R's of uh, our research study that we've undertaken. And um, 
the uh, how we put together a family plan and get have an update with the new normal. Thank all of you and those of you that stay on in the uh, audible uh, uh, broadcast. Thank you.